everyone. Thomas here. Before we get into our podcast, I just wanted to thank everyone who made it to the BRN Academy today. For those who don't know, we have a monthly online recovery Dharma talk, first Sunday of the month. Pablo Das was the teacher today, and he spoke on trauma, addiction, and the needs of people experiencing trauma may have, and how most current recovery modalities lack a trauma-informed structure. It was, it was really good stuff. Um, Pablo is just kind of a fantastic being. So um, again, thanks to those that attended the live podcast and for being such an interactive group. We had a lot of great questions come in during the Q&A. I mean, we went over a little on time, but we got all the questions in. Uh, so that was just it was a really wonderful way to start my Sunday. Um, there's a possibility that Pablo will come to the Buddhist Recovery Summit. Um, he's still trying to figure out if it works in his schedule, but I hope y'all will be there September 5th through the 8th. Register at BuddhistRecoverySummit.org, or you can get more information there and it'll take you to the registration page. But Okay, so thanks for tuning back in for the second part of um, the talk on sex and love addiction featuring Vimala Sara and Deborah Grace. Now our feature presentation. because this is how you began to deal with this love addiction, sex addiction. But let's go back to Thomas Hardy, Return of the Native, Queen of the Night, Eustacia, who was completely obsessed with Klim. I think it was completely obsessed. Why was you the Queen of the Night? Why, why did you fall prey to love addiction, sex addiction? What happened in your childhood that you needed that kind of attachment? Well, my first memory was my mother having an affair when I was about six. And my, I have a, my family has a lot of uh, mental illness. So my mom was um, bipolar. I have a uh, schizophrenic, had a schizophrenic brother who uh, had died of an overdose two years ago from fentanyl. So I have a lot of addiction in my family that's shown up in different ways. Um, my father committed suicide when I was 13. So mom was really looking for love herself. Let's just pause there because you're just yeah. moving <laughs> away from feeling because just what you've told me is like, Deborah, I'm just sitting here listening, thinking, well done. Look at where you're at, you know, oh. like, well done. And, and we, we don't have to rush through this. I mean, mm. you know, like your father committing suicide, your brother just a couple of years ago dying from a fentanyl overdose, your mother having a, an affair and mental health being yeah. in the family. That's a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. it was a lot. Yes. <laughs> so I think I grew up, uh, you know, my parents weren't available. They had me young at 19 and we moved all the time. So, um, yeah, you know, I learned to read at four and books were my best friend. And I always wanted a story. I wanted other people's story. So, you know, even now I read about 
people's spirituality, but I, I need the humanness. I need their, how they overcame um, was what fed me and really were my, my best friends were authors and were uh, people's heroicism. So what was you hungry for? Because, you know, a child who parents were, were 19, so they were still children themselves, not able to give you what it was that you needed, your mother preoccupied right. with an affair. What was you hungry for? What was it that you needed? Well, I think I need... I think it's what I still search for, um, was I needed to be seen and loved and I needed to know that I was okay. That with all my, you know, insecurities and my, my dark places that I was okay, that I was worthy enough to be, you know, in a human body, to be on the planet. And I, I, I mean, I still, it comes up with my partner every day, <laughs> that feeling of, you know, can I be myself? Can I be, am I enough for my, um, too broken. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's, you know, and I've had to give that to myself. That's the journey. I feel like, you know, I'm like this. I tell my clients, like, we have to have a hand here where we're giving that to ourselves to connect and then we can be in the world with each other. Yeah, let's let's talk about the self. I mean, this is this is great because I know at the Buddhist Recovery Summit, you will be talking about sex, love addiction, and we'll go a bit more deeper into that a, a bit yeah. later. But this thing of self, because I noticed that in one of the papers that you write, you talk about an incomplete self. Mm. And what does that mean for you as an incomplete self? And how important is that when we want the client, really, in Buddhism, we want, we want people to let go of the self that they have mm. created? So when you right. talk about an incomplete self, what, what do you mean by this? I feel like, I feel like the journey of, of the soul, of the human, you know, is to actually, we have to create a self first. We have to feel like we are loved. And that's in a, in a perfect world, that's what we get in early childhood. And childhood is we, we have a sense that we're worthy and that we contribute and make others happy. Um, so that's sort of the creation of the small self. And then that, then after that, we begin to be of service and to understand. I mean, it's interesting because when we're so babies, we're, you know, we're at one and then we realize we're separate and then we have to come back to oneness. And what so, separates us as babies? <laughs> well, I mean, I just think, you know, we start to discover and toddle off, right? We start yeah. to realize, oh. And language, language. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but most of us aren't, um, you know, there's a lot of gaps there. There's, you know, there's little, there's a lot of trauma that can happen there. Even, even just human existential separateness mm -hmm. so that, so not, maybe not so much incomplete, but, um, no, I love, I mean, I love yeah. that you call it an, an incomplete self because we can talk about has that conversation been completed yeah. and that conversation with the self needs to be completed before we can let go of the self. Right. And so, I mean, if you look at the Brahma Viharas, you know, with you look at the Brahma Viharas and we're exploring loving kindness, compassion, right. uh, sympathetic joy, equanimity. The first stage is to complete the self before we move out into the world. And, you know, I, I love quoting Dogen. And one of my favorite quotes of Dogen is to study the Buddha way is to study the self. 
Mm, and to right. study the self is to let go of the self. So when we yeah. study the self, can we begin to complete the self? Because we know that the, the self that we have been creating is something that happened in childhood. You know, something very early on happened in childhood. It may even have been in the womb. We picked up something. We made it mean something. And yeah. we have been creating ourselves all around that story and to and to complete the self we need to let go of all the things we've made things mean because life is meaningless we've just given meaning to everything which creates this this broken self because we're not broken but we we have created a broken self by creating all these stories which dictate who we are in 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 the world so I love the, the, the thing when you talk about the incomplete self. Mm-hmm. We need to complete the self before we even can even begin to let go of the self. How can you let go of it? How can right. you, you know, you don't even know what it is you're letting go of. That's yeah. the thing. You yeah. know, when you talk about, if I say to somebody on the street, you're going to let go of self, they're going to look at me and think, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. You need to point to what it is that people have to let go of. And those are the stories that have put us into this hell realm of addiction. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. another thing that I wanted to speak to you about, because it's great when um, you speak about the hungry ghost realm, mm. you know, we know that's a realm on the, the, the wheel of life. And yeah. Gabor Mate, his book, Close encounters with addictions, you know, in what mm-hmm. the hungry ghost close close encounters with addiction. Yeah. And how often do your clients dwell in that ghost hungry ghost realm or hell realm? I mean, I think I would say almost all of my clients are addicted to something. You know, that's that's the suffering. That's what brings them to make that phone call. And it may be just addicted to their um, hatred, their self hatred. Um, it might not look like something that you could, you know, give up in the way of like alcohol or porn or something. But I just feel like, um, yeah, the thoughts, the that they're separate, that something is wrong with them. That is just a huge theme that I see with almost every client. The believing that they are not connected to life, to others. Um, you know, we live in a very, you know, our society is is very isolated I think what a lot of what people used to naturally get now they really have to work for in feeling that reflection of am I am I meaningful to somebody um so you know I feel like it's a dual thing of asking people to sort of form their self their self-love and also to to let go into the universe Mm -hmm. and to let go of their their stories about how they're separate and they're, mm. it's so yeah, the story of something's wrong with me or the story is I don't belong yeah. or the, they story, almost, yeah. the story of I'm unlovable. And sometimes they have to claim first, like you had trauma, you are, you are this way for a reason. Let's look at it. And I, I love the, you know, I think about it, it's more metabolizing with someone that we can't do this work sometimes alone. We're not supposed to. You know, the tiger chases us and we're supposed to fall into someone's arms after. <laughs> so, um, I, so I love uh, how Dr. Gabor Mate, one of my uh, teachers in Compassionate Inquiry, where he, he 
defines trauma as it's not, it's, it's, I mean, what I love is actually how he defines trauma. It's not like big A trauma or little A trauma that actually it's not so much the thing that happened. It's the disconnection of what happened inside us when right. it happened. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I know that was, it was just great him putting it into that language because from a very young age, I got that in my early twenties. I remember a friend who, a friend, their dog died and they were distressed and it was like, get over it. It's just a dog. Get over it. I wasn't very compassionate in those days. Get over it. And then like a couple of months later, a friend of mine, their mother died Mm, and she was displaying exactly the same emotions as this friend who had lost a dog. And I got it. I just thought pain is pain. I could just Mm. see there, there pain was pain. And part of that trauma is, is, as Dr. Gabor says, part of the trauma is who did we speak to? This is the question here. Who did we speak to? And I take that one bit further because often the question is, who did we speak to? Nobody. But I take that one bit further. We did speak to somebody. Who was it that we spoke to? It's a question to you. Yeah. Pardon? So you're saying who did we speak to when we were after trauma? Is yeah. that what you mean? Who did we speak to? If there was nobody around to speak to, who did we speak right. to? Well, often I think what we find is we have to say something is wrong with me. You know, if, if so, if, if I'm not being cared for, I can't believe that my caretaker is that there's something wrong with them. It's too scary. So we make it about us. I'm not exactly. worthy. We spoke to ourselves. Yes. When there yes. was nobody to speak to, we spoke to ourselves. Started. We don't even need to call it magical thinking because that's right. what it used to be called was magical thinking. We just spoke to ourselves to, to try and make sense of it. And that shaped our lives. Yeah. So I feel like that's what I do. I sit, you know, hour after hour, day after day, and people tell me their trauma and they, their childhood, in, you know, or even currently what happened yesterday, how they felt, you know, when their partner didn't text or whatever. And I, a lot of it is just saying, this is normal. This is human. I'm here. You know, someone is here and cares about you um, so that they can start to, yeah, metabolize it. For themselves okay there's nothing wrong with me because they're re-stimulated you know when that happens it re-stimulates the past as as Gabor Mate says whenever we're activated in the whenever we're activated in the present it's something from the past the past is in the present and it's so hard to metabolize so so hard to to separate out and we're in that hungry ghost realm or in the or in the hell realm yeah and, you know, I do it every day. My partner yesterday, he, he looked at his Facebook while I was hoping to talk to him. And I just, I did a complete dive, you know. You know, I'm not important enough. I, you know, just these little. <laughs> but it's great you caught it. I mean, that's oh, yeah. it. it's great and, you, you caught it. Yeah. And we're just, you know, and when sometimes with a partner, you can say, okay, let's look at what's happening, you know. <laughs> but um, so everything I talk about, I'm still, it's still here. It's, it's mm. anyway, there's no... <laughs> Deborah, I love, I love as I was, I was reading through some of your work and I love, I, I, I was like, wow, I hadn't heard that metaphor before where you mm. speak about our addictions being prayer flags. Mm. Just wondered if you could talk more about it. It's a beautiful, oh. you know, something ephemeral about Thank these you. prayer <laughs> flags. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think in our culture, um, 
you know, addiction is something to get over and something to banish and something to, you know, sort of cut out of ourselves. And what I've loved about the, actually the, the training that I'm getting with the ASECT, which is the, the sex therapy, is um, you know, they're very sex positive. And so they really um, are careful to uh, condemn us in, in that world for, um, for, for our sexual impulses, for, you know, so the lens that I began looking through is what do we want? What is the core human need that we're trying to fill with the addiction? And so how is that reaching for the cigarette or the bottle or whatever? How is that, a, you know, a, a flag saying there's something here that I need that's human, that I'm worthy of, and can I choose something else? So to see them as there's goodness there, there's nothing wrong. Um, so that's that's my thought. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great actually just thinking like we talk about red flags, but actually yeah. they can be prayer flags. It's like, what is it? What is it teaching? You know, it's 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 a bit like the finger pointing to the moon. And what happens is for us with addictions, we don't look at the moon, we look at the finger and that's what, why we pick up. Yeah. But if we, you know, if that thought, which is like the prayer flag of, I need a drink rather than looking at that, what's it pointing to? Yeah. And actually, if we looked at what it was pointing to, it would be pointing to the fact, I'm just feeling vulnerable right now. Right. I'm feeling sad right now. I, I think I'm not safe at the moment right now. And it would just be pointing to something, telling us to take care of ourselves. But we look at the finger instead right. of the yeah. And so I think with mindfulness, you know, the pain, like you said, so whatever we're trying to run from in the moment or increase or get, you know, if we're mindful in the moment, we, it's, it's already here, really. And that's the place of, um, you know, that I just think that's the work that I do a lot with clients. You know, I need this. Well, is it here right now, even with the two of us? Is it here in your body? You know, you're talking about needing your partner to stop looking at porn. Well, what's the hunger that you have for connection to, to know that you're important? Can you feel that now between us? Where, are you, where in you do you give yourself that? You know, we start there. Um, so... Thank you. That, that's, yeah. that was just great. I'm just listening. I'm just really <laughs> yeah. Yeah, listening. But- and I, I, let's talk, because we've mentioned sex addiction, porn addiction, and let's yeah. turn, turn towards porn addiction, sex addiction, because these are, these are addictions which are becoming more visible. They were perhaps the taboo ones to talk about, but actually right. it's very much out there on the street, gym sex addiction, porn addiction. And we know that, I mean, porn addiction is such a, a tricky one in the sense that it's a, it's, it's, it's a gateway to something that could become illegal. I mean, I'm just, I'm just absolutely shocked. I mean, I have this game called Wordscape where you have to, it's like a crossword and you have to create these words out of the letters that you have and advertising comes up. And at one point, it was women uh, bending over with suspenders on. Mm. Like, and yeah. I, if I had been somebody who, you know, was a porn addict, that would just trigger me to, to go and look at stuff. Yeah. But anyway, let me not talk, talk about my views on, right. 
on porn and sex addiction. How, why, why has it become such a, such a crisis? I think we are in a crisis of porn and sex addiction. Right. I, I think, you know, I think it speaks a lot to our, our disconnection just in society in general right now, and that we are having less, you know, Esther Perel, I don't know if you know her, she's a therapist, and she says, we used to, a village used to fulfill our needs for intimacy, and now we look to a, a romantic partner to be everything for us. You know, we have, we've become so isolated. And so, and one person can't fill all our needs. They can't be best friend, lover, um, you know, family partner, everything. And so I think we put so much in that romantic relationship. We expect so much there instead of having, and some of this is because we work very hard. People work 40, 50 hours a week. They don't have time to develop these relationships that would feed us on all these levels. And so there you are and you're lonely or you want connection. And there's the, you know, the woman bending over in the suspenders. And so it's like, uh, you know, it's, it, it rings that dopamine bell so high, like you said about, you know, it's like a shot or a, or heroin. It just, it can really, um, quickly give us that hit of connection in a very strong way. That's pretty easy and cheap to get, you know, it's hard to cultivate relationships. It's hard to go be with people. So I think it's in the way that, you know, fast food, fast sex, um, I do think that it's it's cheap and easy to get. So it's and it's more... become so much easier with technology, with sex right. addictions. You know, apps like Grinder for the oh, gay yeah. community, and then of course you don't have to you don't have to go to to um, what a stationery shop. You don't have to go to a, a magazine shop and, and look at the top shelf to get your porn magazines. It's right, right there on your telephone, on a internet. It's just yeah. so much more readily available. Yeah. And, and I think because it is so intense and our physiology reacts so intensely, you know, that's why there's, I think, the addiction aspect. And then, you know, like with other things, the dopamine, then we need a little bit stronger. So I think that's why, you know, Naomi Wolf talks about how um, she believes that we have to go to sort of more intense porn because just sort of vanilla porn doesn't really get us off in the way that, uh, you know, that we need the next thing. And so I think we're seeing more violence in porn. We're seeing just, you know, sort of crazier situations. Um, well, it's like a drug, isn't it? You know, once upon a time, one line of Coke was okay. Then... Yeah a couple of lines and a quarter of a gram and a half gram, you just don't get the same hit through the vanilla porn or the vanilla, yeah. vanilla sex. Yeah. And, and I, and I yeah. no, carry on. Well, I mean, you know, so in ASEC, there's quite a debate about is porn actually addicted? Is there such a thing as sex and love addiction? Um, so I'm really challenged to, um, you know, look at the lenses because if you asked me a while ago, I would say, you know, I definitely think that there is such a thing. I see it in my clients. I saw it in myself. Um, so I think some people can use porn responsibly in the way some people can have, you know, a martini on Saturday night and be fine. So it, it's one of those areas. But again, then there's the whole, you know, ethical piece. And I would want to encourage, um, you know, 
healthy making of porn and things like that where people are really honored if that's what they decide to do with work. So there's just so many different aspects. That well, porn- it's a log- that's a logical conversation because we all often say not everybody's an alcoholic. Right. And some people drink alcohol and, and they don't need to pick up another one. You know, exactly. some people can smoke one cigarette a day. So it is a, a logical conversation. It's like a food addict, you know, there are right. not everybody's an anorectic or, or bulimic, but I, I think what's important is actually, I mean, rather than getting hung up on, is it an addiction? Right. What function does it serve in our life? Because it is no matter what, it's serving a function in our right. life. Right. So I think the function, you know, I think, for me, it was that, uh, you know, that intensity, that connection, that feeling of aliveness. I think sex really, I mean, we want the intimacy, but when we're doing like, you know, masturbating to porn, it's really not, it's sort of intensity. It's like, um, I'm alive. I'm, it's, it's a little different than when we have sort of more love addiction, but they can be in there, you know. Um, so I think it's really wanting to touch the divine parts of it for sure and it's exciting yeah and we want excitement we want bliss we want transcendence i mean we don't talk about it much but actually one of the biggest killers of young men between the age of 15 and 25 is through uh masturbating and hanging themselves they don't they're not doing it to kill themselves but they know that you can get a big high from asphyxiating and masturbating but we don't record it but that's always been a big killer yeah 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 but it won't show up in the you know because of shame and yeah 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 parents don't put that on the death certificate no so i think yes i think that intensity that connection that um but that's really to me I think that's got you know we're looking for divinity we're looking for (laughs) but sure and it's I tend to see what what food addiction is to women is porn and sex addiction to men and I'm not saying that um women don't have porn and sex addiction because they do and and men do have um food addiction and also not just to think of that in binary terms, like across all the genders. Right. Um, there just isn't the the evidence and the research on those genders of non-binary, gender fluid, trans, what that looks like. I mean, a lot of the research has been done on the binary genders, right. but I do tend to see them as, as, as very similar because I'd say myself, when I was a lot younger, I was a, I was a sex addict. Yeah. I wasn't interested in relationships, but definitely was a sex addict. Yeah. You know, I just called it, it was recreation. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I saw some porn when I was young, 12, you know, 10 to 12 of my parents, you know, the VHS tapes. Right. And I, those images are still in my head. It was so intense for me. And, you know, they, the other thing is we're laying down our neural pathway for pleasure when we're in those formative years. And so sometimes depending on our trauma, sometimes, you know, what excites us can be those things that were intense when we were children. And so, um, you know, there's some return to the comfort of that, I think, through some of what we choose to look at as adults or practices we choose to be in. Mm. 
so you know it's something about our bodies being clothed isn't it i mean if we were naturists and walking around naked all the time certain things just wouldn't be exciting anymore right. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah i mean our culture is such a split we're so puritanical i mean american culture i'm speaking of on the one hand and then yet we have you know all this sort of on our screens what we look at instead of more integration about healthy sexuality and diverse sexuality Wow. I'm getting even more out of this talk hearing it a second time. I'm so glad that we're getting the chance to record these kinds of conversations and share them with everyone. I don't have much to say before we go, but if this talk is helping you in any way and you'd like to show appreciation to the teachers, you can offer Donna at BuddhistRecovery.org forward slash donate. Make sure to choose the podcast option so we know what program you're supporting. I'll put a link in the podcast description. And just a big thanks to everyone listening and supporting this podcast. I'm sitting at my in my closet at 11.30 p.m. editing this all together for y'all. And it just makes me super happy to be offering my time to the teachers and listeners. We've had over 4,000 listens. So I love you all so much and we appreciate you so much. So may we all find what brings us peace and share that peace with our communities. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye.